welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I'm your host, William Hill, and today is February 23rd, 2016. This is broadcast number 105. And as I was talking with our guest, who is going to be Pastor Brian Croft, and we're going to talk with him in just a minute about a number of issues related to pastoral ministry, as I was just talking with him, I've just come back from a, a trip to Colorado, and um I don't know what happened. I think it's the whole plane experience. And those of you who listen to this podcast all the time know that I just love to fly and uh, not really. And um, and I think I brought something back with me from Colorado. So who knows what it is? But my throat has been bugging me ever since. So if people are listening and have listened quite often and sense that maybe I don't sound as normal as I usually do, (laughs) if that's possible, um, that's the reason. But anyway. But the nice thing about our guest today is that he's done podcasts before, and he's written extensively and 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 talked much about pastoral ministry. He's been in the ministry for over twenty years, and um, so we're going to be talking with a man who's done this before. So hopefully he'll talk more, and I'll talk less. And after all, you don't want to hear me, really. Anyway, so anyway, just a few things that to bring everybody up to speed with on what we're doing here at the podcast. As you know, uh, my assistant is working uh, feverishly to bring more and more guests on from different areas and aspects of uh, Christian theology and, and practical ministry type things. And so we're going to be talking with some men in the future uh, leading up to the Banner of Truth Ministers Conference that is held every year um, uh, in the great state of Pennsylvania. So uh, look forward to that uh, down the road, uh, but we are currently scheduling some men uh, for that, to help uh, the Banner uh, Conference, um, more exposure. And um, so look forward to that in the future. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking with Pastor Brian Croft. He is uh, the pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and he's been in pastoral ministry for uh, a little over 20 years now. So, uh, Pastor Croft, Brian, it's good to have you on the program. And uh, I've, been, like I told you off air, I've been looking forward to talking with you for quite a while, and so I'm really excited about this prog- this particular program and the things that you bring to the equation when it comes to pastoral ministry, but welcome, and um, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Now, uh, Brian, you're, you're a new guest, of course, on the program, and so um, I, I suspect many of the listeners know of you or have heard of you, um, but now's your chance to tell our listeners, uh, your background, uh, how you came to faith in Christ, uh, what, are your currently, what are you currently doing, married, children, all that good stuff. Okay. So I uh, became a Christian when I was 13 years old. Uh, I, <clears throat> I grew up in a church that didn't preach the gospel faithfully, but I heard the gospel uh, at a youth event um, where three students from a, a local college came in and did a lock-in, and I heard the gospel in the middle of the night um, through them. Mm-hmm. And but the the challenge with that is is being in a church that was not faithful to the gospel and wasn't faithful to disciple people. Um, the, my teenagers were were rough in different ways, but um, certainly in trying to just learn how to grow as a Christian and not having a whole lot of help, you know, to do that. But I ended up going to college at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, pursuing music there, and it, it was there where I kind of had a crisis of faith, just my my own faith becoming my own, not my not my parents. And um, in the process of walking through that pretty lonely, dark time, uh, I, I felt uh, what I seemed to be some kind of calling to the ministry. Now, I, had, I hadn't been mentored well at all, hadn't been discipled well. All I knew is, like, I loved Jesus and I loved people. And that's about all I knew. And, and ministry was appealing in some way. I was in no position to pursue ministry. I, I didn't know what I know now. 
looking back on it, and God was kind just to protect me to not do something really horrific in the early years. Um, but I, I had an opportunity to go on staff at a church back home, and so I did that, and that's kind of what started my uh, my ministry. And was on staff at um, doing associate work at several churches for about eight and a half years. And all four churches that I served on, some were short, like internship, one year stints, so they weren't meant to be long. Every place I went, I had this desire to be mentored. I realized what I didn't know. And every pastor I worked with didn't see it as their role to do that. And so Hmm. I I grew discouraged in just wanting to be taught what I didn't know. And so I learned some really hard, painful lessons the hard way uh, as a young man uh, in ministry. Uh, looking back on that, God's providence, that was a, a good way to learn. And it also, my desire to be mentored and not and not receive that, at least from the pastors that I was, uh, gave me a real burning desire to want to be able to mentor others when I was in the position to be able to do that. I also had a couple pastors on the outside of the churches I served in. They actually, I think, felt pity for me and took me in. And I was mentored by pastors outside the churches that I was serving in. Uh, but that just developed uh, my deep conviction and need for pastors to be mentored by by other pastors. And so, which really caused, which God had plans that I didn't know to, to for mm-hmm. me to be doing a ministry now that, that does a lot of that. So the church I'm at now, my senior pastor there for 20, 12 and a half years. And um, in the process of that 12 and a half years um, and mentoring just young men in my church, I took a a typical dead dying Southern Baptist church with 30 elderly members in it. And the Lord just saw fit to bring new life to our church in that time. And through that time, the Lord sent some young men uh, who, who wanted to pursue ministry. And so I just vowed to the Lord when I went there, I said, if you send anybody here who wants to pursue ministry, that I will do all I can to be faithful to, to mentor and care for them. And uh, that's what I did. So I just started dragging them to the hospitals and taking them to the funeral homes and taking them to visit the widows and, involving them in my sermon prep. And that's kind of how an informal internship in our church started. And out of that, a ministry called Practical Shepherding just kind of emerged. The practical elements, the practical elements of, of ministry, there's this giant void in resources for them. It certainly was several years ago. And that got exposed in um, when I was doing some of these things and started writing about it a little bit online. And so mm-hmm. a blog started uh, out of that. I had an opportunity. I, I'm not a writer, and I wrote a book just on hospital visitation because my interns at church had asked me to write some of the stuff down I was teaching them. And that turned into a book um, that was published by a small publisher, and none of us expected anything to happen with it. Um, but it, what, it, uh, what it did is expose this a gaping hole in practical resources, and, it, uh, and that opened a lot of doors to write more. And that's how Practical Shepherding just kind of about four years ago became a full-fledged nonprofit. And so my time was split between now being senior pastor of Auburndale and then this ministry, Practical Shepherding, which is training pastors and mentoring pastors. And and we're trying to just juggle all that now. And then last summer, I assumed a role of senior fellow of Mathena Center for Church Revitalization here at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So that's my third hat. So um, I have a juggling act I continue to try to do every day of <laughs> yeah, my life. But, it sounds like it. But it is all fluid. So all three of these things run together. You know, I, the church I went into was a revitalization church situation. And so learned a lot through that. 
And so all three of these things really fit well together. So in a lot of ways, I feel like I kind of have the dream job, at least the things that are my passions and what God's, uh, what God's called me to. Yeah, it's a great story. It's it, it, it just interesting to see um, the things that you weren't getting in the early days now have blossomed into the things that now you're placing in the hands of other men. I, I know I was familiar with your ministry work and some of the writings anyway uh, a number of years ago. And, um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, I was pushing uh, here at, at, at Greenville Seminary to have you come on the program because obviously as a seminary, one of the things that we're real passionate about at Greenville is, is preaching. But as you well know, um, there's more to ministry than just standing in the pulpit. And, um, though as essential and critical as that is, um, it's the hospital visits. It's the, it's the sitting with the dying and, um, and, and ministering to people in those circumstances that is, it's tough to learn (laughs) by reading a book. And, um, in fact, I, it's almost impossible. Um, I think to read it, to learn it just by reading a book, you you have to live and experience those things. And so it's interesting to hear your story and and how God had brought you from what you weren't receiving that void and now trying to put it in the hands of men in a very practical, uh, very practical way. So, um, yeah, great story, and um, thanks for sharing. It is, that. Isn't that how? I mean, isn't amazing? That's how God. I mean, how kind God is. He really does work yeah. everything for our good. In that, yep. And I remember just being very discouraged in those years. Like, look, I, I want to be taught. I, I'm teachable. I want to learn, and there was just no one to do it. And uh, but God knew all along that that's what He was going to use to to really light a fire in me to want to want to do that for others and really wave the banner of for pastors to. It's it's our responsibility in the local church to train pastors. You know, theological yep. education is wonderful and something that is necessary, but that's not where guys really learn how to do ministry. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to, you know, we're just trying to wave the banner of, you know, in the local church with real people in real life is where you learn how to be a pastor. Yep, absolutely. Totally agree. I, I'm the gentleman that you've been emailing back and forth with, I mean, he'll be embarrassed <laughs> for me to say this, but that's too bad. Um, he actually rents a room for me, um, for those who don't know, um, as he's going to seminary. But uh, and, and it's a joy to know him. He's a very outstanding young man. And um, anyway, I, I've taken him on occasion uh, to a hospital when I uh, had occasion to do so. And, uh, and I told him the same thing. I said, this is where the rubber hits the road, brother. Sure. I said, you know, you can spend 30 hours preparing sermons and that's important. And I don't downplay that by any means. It's very critical. Um, but I can tell you right now, uh, these visits, this, this is the stuff, this, this is the tough stuff, uh, preparing sermons. I mean, it's hard, but, but no one interrupts me. I, I, it's, it's just me and my books and in prayer and, but when you go to a hospital and you have no idea what's going to happen next and you feel completely inadequate half the time, most of the time, I do, and uh, feel like you've done nothing. I, I've come home from hospitals and visits with, with families in very dark places. And I've said to my wife, I don't think I was, I did anything. I, I, I said, it's, I don't think I did. She, and she always tells me, but you were there. That's right. <laughs> you were there. And uh, anyway, well, we could talk all about that for now until forever. But um, what I want to talk about today, I think, um, though we're talking about the pastoral ministry in general, and and that's your passion, and you've blogged about it at practicalshepherding.com. For those who don't know, uh, practicalshepherding.com is the website. And um, and if you're driving right now, you can't write it down. Uh, You can go to the confessingourhope.com website. I have that information all there. So either way, uh, you can get it. But you wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago. I think it was 2013 right. was when it came out on the pastor's family. And, um, and, and, and it's a, 
very interesting, uh, important subject because um, it is so easy, I think, in the ministry for men to lose sight of the reality that they have wives, they have kids, and they were probably called to minister to them first before they were ever called to minister to a church. And yeah. um, so in this book, you, you deal with a number of those issues. Why don't you tell us the background to the book? Why, why did you write it? And, um, and, and, and who'd you write it with? Because <laughs> yeah. I don't think you mentioned your wife. And so here's your chance to uh, talk about her a little too. Yeah, sure. My wife, uh, Kara, uh, wrote the book with me. I've been married um, 19 years. And yeah. uh, she's, she's just a real gift. I got four kids age ranges from 16 to nine. And so, um, you know, when the, the, the book had a couple of motivations, one was in my work with practical Shepherding, especially, uh, just seeing the pastor's family imploding all over the place Mm -hmm. and, um, really burdened by that and seeing in scripture all over the place, really. I mean, specifically first Timothy three, those qualifications that Paul writes to Timothy on what a pastor is supposed to be, um, there is the prerequisite that a man cares well for his household his, and cares for his wife and his kids. And, it, and I think that we just lose sight of that. And there's so many reasons and implications of that. But I think we men are generally narcissistic in the way we approach ministry. And so we get tied, we get focused on our ministry, we find our identity in it. We find a lot of um, uh, affirmation in it. And that there are just all kinds of reasons that that revolve around that that cause us to neglect our family. So, wanting to write something that really I, I had not seen anywhere else, uh, at least written in a modern context, and be able to address what are the hard issues that causes the the a pastor to neglect his family? What does that do to his family? And and what are the ways to safeguard that uh, and and have a real change take place? in a pastor's family's life. So, um, so there's, there's that, there's the burden of the, the spiritual implications. I mean, the the enemy is so cunning. I mean, Mm. he has figured out Mm -hmm. that if he can destroy the pastor's family, that he can destroy a pastor's ministry, his family and his church potentially in one fell swoop. And so, uh, no wonder he goes after the pastor's family. So I think the pastor's family is on the front lines of, um, of this kind of spiritual warfare. The other reason to write the book, and this isn't necessarily a great idea to write a book, but just kind of the way it worked is my wife and I are trying to figure it out. And you can Mm -hmm. write, you can write, you can write a book. Book can be compelling from two perspectives. One is writing out of a lot of experience and being someone who has done the work. I have a friend of mine who is a pastor for 50 years who just wrote me yesterday, asked me to endorse his book. And, and he writes, and he wrote a book about basically the things he learned in 50 years of ministry. Like, I'm going to read that book. I'm going to read it carefully. Hmm. Yeah. And, yep. and that every, every young pastor should. The other reason to write is just write at, like, because you're in the middle of it and you're trying to figure it out and you write it in such a way, not that you're an expert, but you write it in such a way that, look, I'm really trying to figure this out. We are trying to figure this out. And, and hopefully the goal was, and my wife's, part of the book is definitely better and the best part of it. So um, it's written in such a way, it's written in an informal way to where hopefully she and I are having a dialogue about these different things that we've just faced and that we're trying to figure out that we don't have all the answers to. We talk about some of the things we've learned and some of the things we feel like we don't know yet. So we wrote the book in the middle of a couple of my kids becoming teenagers. Mm -hmm. Uh, A couple of my, you know, so we're, we're out of the baby stage. We're moving into teen years. 
Um, so it, I got a couple kids who, you know, who aren't teenagers yet. So we, we're really in the thick of parenting and, and family life, um, you know, school. So my wife homeschooled for 10 years and it slowly crushed her. And so we had to, uh, we've had to try to make some adjustments with schooling um, as that took place. My wife has battled depression off and on most of her life. And probably one of the most profitable things in the book is that what she was courageous enough to write about it in the back of the book, because I feel like it's, it's generally not okay for pastors, a pastor's wife to struggle. Right. Um, And that's really sad, but that's the perspective and pastor's wives feel that. And I think many pastor's wives, just as I work with many of them, they are really struggling. Many of them are battling depression. Ministry's hard. Family life's hard in the ministry. And they are, but they don't feel a safety to be able to verbalize it and to make you know, it. Why do you, yeah, that, you know, that's a, really a great point. Um, as as most listeners know, I'm, I've been married almost now, almost 28 years. And, um, and, and, and like you, uh, as you said about your wife, my wife's an, ext- an extreme gift to me, I, and and I don't any come any more close to deserving her. Um, and those who know my wife know that that's probably absolutely one hundred percent true. Um, uh, my background and and things, but why do you think the pastors' wives, especially, um, wrestle with the reality of being open about you know they're sinners, they struggle with sin just like everybody else, and why do you think that is? Uh, uh, Other people seem to have less of a problem with it in the church, but the pastor's wife, for some reason or another, just seems like they're in the in the in a corner and and in, it, they're supposed to be insulated from all this business. Yeah, it's an excellent question, Bill. I, I so a couple of things come to mind. I mean, there's a lot, but I think one of the big things is most pastors' wives um, love their husbands, uh, want to be a help to them in their ministries. And so do not want to do something that would be a hindrance to them. Mm. So they sense this expectation that somehow the pastor and the pastor's wife and the pastor's family are supposed to have it all together, you know, and, and not struggle like regular folks. And she feels this pressure to have to perform and show that image because she doesn't want to harm her husband's ministry. And she thinks that that will do it. I think there's pressure from a lot of husbands on their wife. Because oh, the pastor's great. feeling that pressure, yep, and yep. they put that pressure on them. So I think the combination of them already feeling the pressure from the church, and then feeling the pressure from their husbands that no, we've got to we got to do this and do that because of how it'll look or you know, those kind of things. That I think both of those things just can crush a pastor's wife because she doesn't want to be a hindrance to her husband's ministry. She loves him. She wants to be a help to him. And so I have found, and this is part of, my wife and I went through a pretty dark journey. It's interesting in God's amazing providence that we wrote this book trying to figure these things out. And right around the time the book was, it was written, the book was published, that my wife and I uh, hit a really dark time um, in all this kind of coming to a head. Uh, I had started traveling more. And um, again, the schooling with our children was just crushing my wife. My, my ministry schedule was, was just killing her. And, um, she, and she was feeling, um, like I was not listening to her cries for help and I wasn't. So mm-hmm. it was a, we entered a really dark time. We actually spent, um, we spent two years together in counseling, um, with a, with a counselor that was just a gift to us and helped us work through some of these things. So I, I bring this up just to go ahead and, and acknowledge 
You know, the best thing a pastor can do to for his wife is to be open and transparent with the church and encourage her to have the freedom to be who she is in the church. Uh, and a lot of times the pastor will do that with, with his wife, that she will feel freedom to be able to do that more. But, but it, a lot of times it comes from the men, and, and many pastors are very unaware of that. And that's what's so harmful about it. Quite frankly, I was unaware of it for a long time in my own marriage. So uh, there's, I think that's the chief reason why many pastors' wives feel crushed by these things, these expectations and pressures. And I think it's part of the husband leading. A pastor yep. will lead his family in a way. He looks at his wife and says, you do today what you need to do. I know it's Sunday. And if, and if you don't, if you, I know you were up half the night with one of our kids and can't folks. If you need to go to my office and sit there during Sunday school because you just need some silence and to prepare for worship, please do that. Absolutely. I'll, if people complain, I'll deal with it. I'll do. That's right. I'll deal with Absolutely. it. That's not your problem. I want you to do what you need to do, man. There are so many pastors who would feel so empowered by that and loved by their husbands if they did that. You know, my wife and I had a conversation because she's in nursing, and and we talked a little bit about this image issue that you're you're discussing, and um, and 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 I have a pretty strong personality, so you know, I'm I'm like, well, don't worry about it. You know, I'll deal with it, kind of thing. You know, it it sounds great when you're talking in private, but when you're pressured by the by the congregation or the members in certain ways. But I mean, we were talking about this very issue. And she says, well, you know, if I'm in, if an, I'm R, an RN and I'm, and I'm working in a hospital, I, I, it's possible I could be working on Sundays, which uh, strong, strict Sabbatarian that we are and Lord's Day issues. Um, and she asked me that question. She goes, how's that going to look? This, is, this was her question. How's that going to look to the congregation if I'm working in a hospital every Sunday when you're preaching every Sunday? Yep. And I said, dear, look, number one, we're not there yet. That's one. Yep. Number two, um, there's nothing wrong with you working in a hospital. People get sick on the Lord's Day. Um, and, and and we'll deal with that, but I'll deal with that with the church and, and understanding with the elders. This this is the situation. Now, in God's providence, things change, and, and we're not going to be in that situation. But there's other types of situations like that. And I think with the point you're making, which is really great, is that is that the pastor— needs to be open and honest with this congregation that, look, my wife is not some, um, she is, she's a member of this church, like every other woman in the church. And, and she, she can't possibly, she's not sinless. She's going to struggle with things just like, like, like the pastor struggles with things. We just had a member at a church that had been stated supply for, for almost a year now, make that comment to me that, you know, I, I've come to the realization that pastors struggle with sin, just like everybody else. <laughs> I said, what, imagine what an that. amazing thought. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. And, and, and it wasn't, you know, it's, it's not a negative thing for her to say that I'm glad to hear people make that comment because we do. And, but then there's that image issue that we're always trying to present this, this best side of our lives. And, and we should be at one level, but the realization that oftentimes we put our wives through these great difficulties, uh, unknowingly, as you've, as you, as you said, well, and, um, we give, we give lip service to where to find, we preach it to our people that we're supposed to find our identity in Christ. Yep. yep. And if a pastor would really embrace that and really be willing to, to dig deep in the deep, dark places of his soul, and realize how that is not the case, that he is driven by people's approval. He's driven by what people think, and he puts that on his wife. That will slowly crush her, and what it, mm-hmm. what it eventually does is it, it crushes your family to where 
um, you potentially disqualify yourself and aren't able to serve in the ministry anymore. Yep. So what's the solution? I mean, how do you, how did you and your wife, and maybe as you're talking with the listeners, some, some guys, um, training for the ministry, not necessarily at Greenville, but whatever, wherever they may be. I, I recently read an article when I say recently last two or three years of a man who, and perhaps you're familiar with this article, um, or even the man, um, who, who lost his wife in seminary, um, yep. because he'd neglected her. Yeah. Um, uh, he, you know, had lots of friends was, everything was great with his friends, but his wife was not being shepherded at all. And, um, she left him and, um, it was a sad article to read, frankly, but yep. also a great warning. And so what's the solution? How do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Well, from a biblical standpoint, the solution is to identify what, what's going on in the heart of the pastor mm-hmm. and why he neglects his family, his wife. And that has to be, so it, I think what every pastor needs to realize is this is not about his wife and how helpful or unhelpful she is or what his kids are like. It has to be, it, it has to do about with the pastor. And his, he's got to deal with his own heart. He's got to deal with the fact that the problem and neglect is not the demands and pressures of ministry, which we love to blame. It's actually the, it's, it's actually the sin in the pastor's heart. It's, it causes him to be drawn to these things and not find his identity in Christ. And so the solution is, it's nothing earth shattering, but it's, it's what is the solution. And that's the gospel. You know, God's grace in the gospel has to permeate these places in, in the pastor's soul to be able to, um, not be driven by what this deacon, the deacon's opinion of you, regardless of what you do, or whether you're doing things to try to please folks. Um, it has to be driven by just doing what's right, what needs to be done, and to be okay with if people criticize you. Because it may come down to it that um, your being being home for dinner with your wife and family mm-hmm. might be the might be the most important thing, and then you can get to the hospital later. So um, I think the solution is to know, you know, you don't want to just kind of have behavior modification with this stuff and and grit your teeth and go, well, this is the right thing. I need to do it. You need to deal with the heart and what your desires are and, and what's driving yeah. that. And that will help you. Um, that'll help you be able to make better decisions and know that your wife and your family has to come has to come first. And I have found that when I was not doing this well, and then I made a, then I started uh, improving as I just come to deal with some of these things in my own soul. I found that when I am fully present with my family, and when I make them the, the priority that they're supposed to be, they are all more than willing to give me up when I really need to go to the hospital that night. Yep, isn't that the truth? But, but when you when you don't give them, when you're not present with them, when you're not giving them your full attention, and you're engaged with them, yep, it, bitterness starts creeping in. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, and I, you know, my wife has made made that comment even in, in seminary, and, and and my wife, like I said before, I mean, she's incredibly patient. Um, but but I got a a, a wake up call um, early on last semester um, because I'm preaching every week, uh, uh, taking a lot of classes, trying to get done, graduate in May, and just very busy yeah. and. Um, and they're all good things as you've talked about, but she, she sent me an email. <laughs> it wasn't even a verbal conversation. I mean, it was an email. <laughs> she figures I, I can, I know how to reach him. I'll email him yeah. because, because I'm, I have my email, you know, on my hip, I have it everywhere I go. Yeah. And, um, and she says, uh, something about, um, you know, it's important for us to spend, you know, go out on a date once a week, it was something to that effect. Yeah. And, um, and it's all, all it said, it wasn't a criticism. It wasn't an attack. It was just a, a reminder 
And uh, I wrote her back right wrote her back right away, and I said, "I really appreciate this. I fear that I've neglected you because of everything that I'm doing that's good, but I've neglected my wife." Yeah, that's right. And um, and it was her way of, and she wrote me back right. She, said, I don't feel like you're neglecting me. I just want you to remember that you're married. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh boy." Yeah. So so we put it on the calendar, and we we made it's a conscious thing now that we do every week, and um and and recognizing that that emergencies are going to come up just like you talked about. And, but now when they do, it's, it's not as difficult to say, Hey, I have a member in the church that's dying and I need to be there. Yeah, well, and well, Bill, I found that, um, as I was doing, you know, I started doing my own soul work. A lot of this happened through our counseling that we did with, mm-hmm. uh, with, with someone. And I'm starting to deal with my, the heart issues that were causing me to, you know, to be drawn to these other places. I, I was fine. I felt a freedom to be able to just say no, uh, and, and my love for my wife won out more than what this person is going to think of me. And I realized yep. in that moment how, what had been driving me for so long. And when you're driven by those things, you can really, you can dress it up well, but I, I'm convinced, like I'm convinced most men, pastors are no different. Uh, we, we just, we function as, as narcissists, but the danger of pastoral ministry is we can, we can uh, we can take what is sinful and turn it into a ministry virtue. Oh yes, <laughs> you're right. It's so true. That's a really dangerous place that we have. So you know we can, like you said, you can. So somebody could look at your life just for your example. Somebody could look at your life and go, "Wow, you are." I mean, you are so dedicated to Jesus with all the stuff you are doing, you know, and trying to finish school and pastor and you know podcast, all these kind of things. Somebody could look at you and just praise you for that, and. Uh, and have no idea that of the, the text your you know your wife sent you, and right. what might what might be behind uh, the the rat race you're in, and and uh, her kind words to be able to remind you of that. But I, best yeah, best, that's true. best advice I some of the best advice I've ever received is that there's always another ministry, and you only get one wife. <laughs> and so yeah. I have tried to live my I've tried to live my life and evaluate my day and my week and just the things on my plate based on that. Yep. Well, we've been talking, for those who are not familiar with the book, we've been talking, we have been talking about the book, The Pastor's Family, Shepherding Your Family Through Challenges of Pastoral Ministry. Brian and Kara, Kara, did I say that you right? Kara, Kara, Kara Croft wrote it, and it's really an excellent book. And we've really been talking about chapter one, um, it, where where uh, Pastor Croft lays out, you know, the demands of appearance, the demands of expectations, significance, friendship. Um, pa- you know, everybody likes to be liked. He talks about that. And, and who doesn't? I mean, let's be honest. We all want to be liked. We all want to be respected. And um, it's it's it can be very narcissistic. It can be a drug that just completely drains you from the reality that you have a wife, you have children, and they kind of get the second, they kind of get the leftover at the end of the day. And, um, so we've been talking about this issue and, and the, really the resolution is the, you know, where's our heart as ministers, future ministers, men in the summit in seminary who are training to have these great demands placed in their time. When we don't, I don't think either one of us are, 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 are downplaying the reality that the call to the ministry is not like any other job. Yeah. It, there's never a time when you're off. That's true. Uh, the phone could ring at any moment. And, um, I kind of have a joke. I, I was telling my wife, the phone rings after midnight is never good news, <laughs> uh, you know, and, um, 
but there's always that demands and, 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 and pastors wives recognize going in that there's going to be a challenge in that whole reality, but the husbands need to recognize it as well. And that's really chapter two or part two of the book where your wife spends quite a bit of time writing about this idea that I don't recall saying I do to this yeah. and, and where she lays out, you know, her own struggles with these issues. So we've been really talking about these things and the solution is the the husband the pastor needs to recognize it where his own heart is and uh cannot find significance in these day-to-day things but our identity is with christ and what he's called us to do and one of them is the pastor at church but the other one <laughs> substantially is we have a wife and children and so so brian how do you balance that now you're very busy obviously and um and you have children too. I mean, one of the things that I'm thankful for, and this is going to sound wrong, but I think people get it, is that the Lord called me to seminary into, into the pastoral ministry after my children were raised and grown yeah. and out of the house, uh, which I'm thankful. I look back and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Um, that that was the way He chose to use to do it with me. Um, but most guys don't. That's not the road they go down. Yeah. Um, that the normal road is in their mid twenties, they go to seminary, uh, they start having children, and uh, so how do you how do you balance that? You, we talked a lot about the wife, but now throw the kids into the equation. Uh, what's the solution there? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think the the kids often become uh, the casualties in a in a pastor's neglect. You know, um, and they don't depending on the age of the kids, they just don't understand what's going on. But it's the cliche, isn't it? That I mean the the pastor's kid um, grows up feeling like his his dad loves the church more than he loves them, and mm. so knowing that that's kind of the default, um, I think pastors need to be especially mindful of that, and they have to they have to go the extra mile to to combat that to make sure that their kid his kids feel like they are his priority, and um, yep. and I so I, it's it's really a matter of. You know, there is a logistical side of this is just making sure you have time with them, uh, schedule time in there with them. So I, I think one of the things I talk about in the book is uh, having individual time with each one of your kids. And that I was, yep, yep. I was challenged by that. My kids were little by a friend of mine who's, a, who's not a pastor. He's a deacon in his church. He's a pharmacist. and But he had seven kids. And so I, we went and stayed with him for some time. And he, he had this routine that he had seven days of the week. So each of his kids each had a morning and every morning he got up early with one of his kids and they read mm. together, they prayed together, they talked, they, he, they had time one-on-one every week with them. And, you know, and then as we're there, he, he challenged me why I don't do that. Well, I had like three kids at the time, so he wasn't going to take any of my weak excuses because he had double the kids that I did. <laughs> so um, he challenged me. And so I, I, I took him up That's on the challenge funny. and went home. I, I said, my, my youngest was, was a baby, but so I had four kids and, um, he, we went home thinking, okay, I'm going to try this, but you know, this is going to last a month or two. And you know, my kids, my oldest is probably eight. So, um, they're, we're going to do this a month or two and they're going to lose interest. And I worked out of time. It, evenings worked best for us. I don't know about you. Mornings are just insane in my house. Nothing, nothing happens of quiet, uh, solitude in that, in mornings for us. So the evenings, I, I set it up where, uh, Monday through Thursday, each one of my kids had an evening and they got to stay up 30 minutes later after everybody went to bed and have that time with me. And we read the Bible together. We prayed, we read a book together that they chose. We sometimes wrestle after that. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff happen, 
But um, <laughs> I started this thought they would, it would, they would lose interest, and that was the exact opposite of what happened. They became my biggest source of accountability in doing this. I mean, we, I can, I, I have no problem admitting this. That there were some evenings where it was just a long day. I was exhausted, and I remember just fasting and praying in that moment that God would so move their hearts to where they would forget it was their night. So, so I just wouldn't have to. Wow. And I'd be putting into bed, and my, you know, my, my four year old would say. Oh, Dad, it's my night. Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. So <laughs> they became my greatest source of accountability. And I tell you what, that is, looking back on that, did that for years. And that is one, that is some of the sweetest moments I have with, with my kids individually. And I'm really grateful for the recovery of family worship now. I really am. Um, so it's not a knock on this, but I will say that um, there's a big focus on family worship now. But I got a glimpse into my wife, my, I got a glimpse into each one of my children's hearts with them one-on-one that I did not get when we were doing family worship. And mm. so I, I think just for the pastor, we, we spend all week having one-on-one discipleship meetings and having coffee and having lunch with all kinds of church members. Um, I want to challenge pastors listening to this. Look, if we're first to have the priority to disciple and shepherd our children and our wife, then we should probably make sure we're having those one-on-one meetings with them too. Absolutely. One of the things that one of the things that I hear you saying, and I think it's very would be is very helpful. And um, though I don't have kids anymore, and and I look back on things, mistakes I made as a dad. I mean, it's just they're innumerable. Um, I was just talking with my wife about that the other day, and 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 she was kind to remind me that you know the kids probably have forgotten the things that you didn't do well and remember uh as they've gotten older things you did do well and i'm just like well that's that's nice yeah. <laughs> i hope that's true that sounds good one, it does and but one of the things that i hear you saying and i think is very helpful is that it, it has to be intentional absolutely it has to be uh, and, and so put it on your calendar yep. uh you know if you're if you're an ocd wired guy like me who has to schedule everything and google calendars just everything goes in there and uh, but put it on your calendar and say, look, this is my this is the time barring, you know, a giant octopus attacking the church. Um, my wife is if she's listening to this is laughing now because that's one of my favorite expressions. Um, if a giant octopus attacks the church, then fine. But if not, then barring that, uh, this is what we're you know, this, this it's Tuesday night. And so at eight o'clock, I'm meeting with child X or whoever it is. And uh, that's what we're doing. And that's it. And um Make it a habit, and um, yeah. but I love the idea of it has to be intentional because if we don't make it intentional, it'll never happen. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that I think should resonate with everybody listening to this is it doesn't happen unless you intentionally do it. Like we say, right. you know, it might happen once a month in some you know fluid way, but the reality is the the consistency of it just does not happen in our life if we don't if we don't uh, plan it. So um, you know, another thing that comes to mind. And to your question of, you know, how do you, um, you know, how do you deal with this in regard to your kids as far as the neglect? The other thing, one of the other things I discovered other than just meeting with them individually is, and we're talking about intentionality, do things with them in front of them that show that you are intentionally putting the church side and focusing on them. So you mm-hmm. can do that, but I think it's best to make them aware <laughs> other than like announcing at dinner, okay, I am focused on you now. You know, I'm talking about. Like, I'm <laughs> right. saying, do something that shows them they are they are it at that moment. So here's an example. Um, I was I was terrible at. Um, so I take a day off every week. On, I take Fridays off, and but I was terrible at um, 
on Fridays I would answer my phone. Mm. And, you know, just in case, you know, I needed to talk to somebody and say, well, call this person. And so my wife called me on it and I'm thankful for that. And she, um, you know, she, so we made it, we made an agreement. So look, okay, you can check, check messages. That's fine in case somebody's died or something, but you don't have to answer your phone. You're off. People need to respect. And I went, okay, that's a good point. And as I started evaluating other areas that I was just not being a good example and drawing boundaries on, on when I should, um, I used to have my phone sitting at the dinner table next to me in case, you know, somebody called and, you know, somebody, somebody died or somebody went in the hospital that I would need to know as soon as it happened. So one of the things I did is I, I intentionally put my phone away. I put it in the next room, but I left it on and, uh, we'd have, we'd been having dinner and eventually, um, we'd be in the middle of dinner and the kids would hear my phone ring and it would be in the other room. And I remember just sitting and it would ring and I just, just kept eating and I, like I was ignoring it. And all, all four of my children, like from the ages of like, you know, 12 to five, <laughs> right, you know, right. they all know what's going on and look at me and like, dad, what are you doing? Aren't you going to, yeah, phone's ringing, dad. dad, the phone's ringing, you better get it. It's going to like, they're all like, look at me like, what are you doing? And I looked at him, I went, what? They're like, your phone's ringing. And I was like, it's okay. The phone can just ring. Or aren't you going to get it? No, I'm having dinner with you guys. Yep. And, and I remember, I remember my daughter who's really in, intuitive. She looks at me, she says, well, what if some, what if they're calling, what if somebody's calling you to tell you somebody's died? And I looked at her and I said, then they're not going anywhere. They can wait till after dinner in my time with you guys. And I remember looking at seeing their faces in that moment. And I didn't realize it at the time, the impact that was going to have. Like I wanted to show my intentional change of behavior. But from that day on, my kids, you could tell they really felt special and cherished in that moment of all things, just putting my phone away. And not answering it during dinner. So I think we can get creative and really think of all kinds of ways to for for our kids especially. I think those kinds of impressions are leave us a strong um, a, a strong impression on them when we make those kind of decisions. Yeah, I mean, as you were talking, it, was, it reminds me of the times that I go out to restaurants and go out with my wife, and it's like she has a cell phone, of course, and she has that dreaded iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> okay, never mind. We won't go there. Yeah. Um, people that listen all the time, they're laughing because anyway. Um, but I mean, I look around the restaurant and then, and, and it's easier to look around and see other people. Um, you know, they're, they're having dinner with their families and they're, they're, they're stuck to their iPhone or they're stuck and they got their phone in their face the entire time. It's like, hello, why did you go out to dinner? I mean, yeah. what the, hello. I mean, but then I look at myself and it's like, I'm doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, and there my wife is sitting across the table and it's like, my phone is more important and it, it might not even be important. I might be checking Facebook of all, of all things or Twitter or whatever. Right. Um, it's like, why, why do we do that? And just as husbands, forget the ministry, just as husbands and wives, why do you do that? I mean, it just, yep. it makes no sense. That's right. Um, but especially as pastors, when time is so valuable, um, and this is not to downplay guys who work in factories and they have, their time is valuable too. But you know, the demands are so real. Uh, take that, throw the phone in the other room. Don't take it with you. Leave it in the car. Yeah. Um, as you said, if, if it's if it's a crisis, the voicemail will get it. I'm going to be out back in back in the car in an hour, hour and a half, whatever it is. I'll get the message, and um, you know, but but reserve that time intentionally uh, for wife, kids, uh, and both. Yeah, I, think, and, I think what pastors need to realize is that we want to be available for our people, but we are not EMS. Like, <laughs> we're not the ones that are going to come do compressions on somebody if they've had a heart attack. I mean, we can, I mean, I've, this, this is something that just kind of, 
it hit me one day years ago. I was like, you know, I'm trying to imagine any pastoral situation that could not wait an hour from now, you know, and um, there's maybe a few, you know, like somebody's rushed to the hospital, they may die, you know, I mean, you know, a car accident or something, you know, and you need to get down there as soon as you can. Or, or you know, or somebody is maybe called, you know, I mean, God forbid somebody's calling you because they're suicidal or, you know, there's a couple of situ- few situations, but for the most part on the daily grind of ministry, there is, there is nothing that could not wait an hour until you're done with that time with your family and then go check your messages. And it is amazing how much my wife and my kids are so willing to share me and give me up when they know that I have honored them with that time. And I wish, I wish somebody would have told me that early or early in my ministry. Yeah. Well, that's really part three of the book. And, 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 you know, most, as, as I said earlier, most guys are going to be in that situation where they're going to have kids. Um, you know, I'm reminded of what the apostle Paul said about, you know, marriage and, you know, if you're going to be in the ministry, it's better to stay single. And, and I'm obviously I'm summarizing dramatically yeah. what he's talking about yeah. there. But, but I think, you know, as I was talking with a young man, just, just, just last night about, um, this whole subject, um, he's not married, um, would like a wife. And I told him, I said, look, you know, I've been married 28 years and the Lord in his providence led me to seminary after my kids were grown. And I look back on that and I'm thankful for it. Um, because it would have been a train wreck had I done it the other way. And, um, and I said, you know, you're not married now in God's providence. And, and I get the challenge, the rustlings that go on with a young man who wants to have a wife. I get it. Um, but seize the opportunity now, uh, that God has given you by his own intention, directly given you to, to learn, to read, to throw yourself into, 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 into your education, all this stuff, because I'm going to tell you right now, once you get in the ministry and you have a wife and you have kids running around that you think you're going to have more time, you're not, you're going to have less. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and, and, and be mindful of these things as you go into it. Um, be honest with your future wife. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. This is what I think the Lord's called me to do. These are the challenges we're going to have and be honest and open about that stuff. I told my wife 25 years ago <laughs> when we first met, I said, this is what I like to do. And it didn't happen for almost 23 years. Yeah. Um, and, but she knew th- where that road was heading. Um, but b- b- remember that the road to the ministry goes right through your living room. And, uh, if you don't remember that, you're, you're going to be lost. Your ministry will be destroyed. As you've mentioned, um, Satan is good and crafty at these kinds of things. Right. And you lose your ministry, you lose your family, you lose everything. Well, my wife, you know, is, is really cleverly said that, I mean, she, she didn't want to uh, be a pastor's wife. So when we got married, I was doing associate work and had, I mean, would have, would have just arrogantly said, there's no way I'm going to be a senior pastor. I don't want to be a senior pastor. I don't want to preach and, and all this. And of course the Lord did a, 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 a work in me after that, that was, uh, um, certainly changed the trajectory of my life, but um, she's like, uh, I already told you I didn't want to do this, you know. So she, it, there was a, there was a part of her that had to work through that. So I want to any, anybody, any um, pastors' wives listening to this who who feel bad that they're like, you know, my husband wants to be a pastor. He is a pastor. I'm struggling being a pastor's wife. I just, I just want to encourage you that that's okay. I mean, embrace that. Um, that that doesn't mean that that's not what God wants for you, but um, acknowledge that it's it's hard. And it's something that you'll potentially have to, to grow in. But again, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, that, that just that ability to be honest and transparent 
yep. and authentic yep. as a pastor's wife, you know, it's okay to say, you know what, this is this is hard. It's um, I I often say that there's one harder place to be in a hard church than the pastor, and that's his wife, because mm-hmm. the pastor can fight for himself, but yep. nothing good comes from a pastor's wife trying to defend her husband, and so she has <laughs> to just sit back and take yep. it, and it is it is the hardest position you know to be in. So. You know, my, again, my wife has done a great job in the book on talking about her own struggles with that. and yeah. uh, But the Lord has used her in, in incredible ways and um, and has also used her to reach, to, to encourage other pastors. Right? Look, just be open and honest with your husband. And God has to do the work in him to receive you and accept you where you are. But if you can't be honest with each other through the difficulties of, of ministry, you're not going to last real long. No, They're too hard. They are, and 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 I love the idea, and 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 really the the concept of allowing your wife to be honest, um, you know, create that opportunity, because um, you're right, as as husbands and especially pastors, um, that whole image issue, that whole you know putting our best foot forward kind of thing, it, it's a real pressure, and um, and if we're not paying attention, we're going to see our wives just crumble, right? Right? You know, it, it it by the time they 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 speak up, it's too late. Yep. Unless we tell them up front and, 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 and they realize and understand that, you know, you can be honest with me if you're wrestling. I mean, please tell me yep. uh, and we'll deal with that. And you know, in the Presbyterian system, as you well know, um, we have elders in the session and um, men, uh, pastors need to be honest with their session and just tell them flat out, look, I can't work 24 hours a day. Yep. Um, I have a wife, I have kids and um, I need that time. And you guys need to be on call when I'm off. Yep. Um, because I need to be off and I need to be with my wife. I, I remember a friend of mine who, um, he was a pastor and I, I called him on his day off and which I should have known better. I wasn't thinking about it. And, uh, I called him on his day off and his wife answered the phone. Mm. <laughs> she said to me, she said, Bill, it, um, he's off today. Yeah. Is this, a, is this an emergency? And I said, well, no, not really. She goes, okay, he'll call you tomorrow. <laughs> That's a- and I love and I love that. Yeah, that's a pretty courageous wife. I wish more would be that way, actually. Um, yep. And, you know, she basically screened his calls for him and, and, and on that kind of thing. And, and I thought to myself, you know, how do you, how do you creatively do that when now everybody's got cell phones? And, I mean, it's just, it's harder. And, but, but I think what you're saying is, is give your wife that opportunity to be honest <clears throat> about the struggle. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and I, go ahead. I'm the sorry. The biggest gift I, I, I mean, arguably the, the biggest gift a, a husband, a pastor who's a husband can give to his wife is that he is a safe place for her yep. to be able to say whatever she needs to say, including, you know what? I'm really not enjoying your preaching right now. How? <laughs> Why don't you just call my children ugly? You know, I mean, it, it's, I mean, how, can you say anything worse than that? I mean, so, so, but think about it. How, how strong, how powerful is it? For a man to be so secure in his identity in Christ and aware of his mm-hmm. own brokenness of his own life and the struggles of his own life, for his wife to say to him, you know, I'm struggling being at our church. I'm struggling being a pastor's wife, and I'm not enjoying your preaching right now. For a husband to not take that personally and just to receive her and say, okay, thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I yep. accept you in the, in, where you are in this moment, and, and it's okay, and I love you. Yeah, it's funny you say that you're you're what you're talking about because I was um as as one of the older students here at the seminary 
um, I have life experience that some of these guys are just getting into at this point. Yeah. They're raising their kids. And I have a friend, a good friend of mine who's now a senior pastor. Um, and uh, as he was getting ready to graduate, uh, he and I would talk a lot. And he would just drop by my office at the seminary. And we'd pray together and talk about all kinds of things. And and I really valued his friendship, and I, and I still do. And, and as he was getting ready to graduate, we went out to lunch, and we were talking about you know, what's going to happen after graduation. He's got a cause of this church. And, and he started telling me how he was going to come up with these, these creative ideas for his wife to be able to listen to his sermons and, and critique his sermons and check these boxes and do all this other stuff. And he was just really excited about it. And as, as he, at the more excited he got, the more depressed I got. And finally, I looked at him and I said, brother, um, don't do that to your wife. Yeah. He goes, what, why? He goes, it'll help my preaching. I said, that's not what she's there for. She's not there to, cr- cr- to critique every word that comes out of your mouth. She's there to feed on God's word. She's there to, to learn and be edified by the preaching. And when you're standing up there, it, you know, it, it's already hard enough for her to, to eject the reality that she's married to you. Yeah. And, and, and that she's there to feed on, feed on the, on the preaching of God's word. Don't put that kind of pressure on your wife. And he was like, Wow. I never really thought of it that way before. I said, she's not just your critique, you know, partner. Um, She's also a sister in the Lord. And um, yeah, she's going to, she's going to critique you in ways other people probably won't. um, And hopefully, honestly, which is valuable, which is valuable. Extremely. My wife, my wife uh, often will, will um, one of the things that she checks me on in my preaching is not so much the content though. That's there is tone. Yeah. You know, were you too harsh? Were you? And I'll ask her, was I too harsh? And she'll say, well, uh, you know, she'll kind of get squeamish. And then I'm like, okay, the answer is yes. <laughs> but, you know, and it's important for that to happen. But but that's that's not job one. Um, you want your wife to learn and feed and, and, and worship the Lord and worship. And that's what you want. And but have the reality that she can be open with you when necessary. And uh, not, I'm not enjoying this. Yeah. <laughs> I, you're killing me. <laughs> yeah, the young guy, the, the, the mistake I see a lot of young pastors make with their wives is they function in so many ways, both in their family life and in the church, um, not with the idea that they're going to have a 30-year ministry. And that's why a lot of them just, just you know, burn out and, and fizzle away in a few years. And that's one of the things, you know, you have to conduct yourself, you have to, you have to relate to your wife with ministry and in a such a way, like you want her to still love you and love the church 20 years from now, yep, 30 years from right. now. A lot of guys, you know, they, they just kind of put everything on their wives, including like critique my sermon and help me grow. Well, you know, that'll come and just through conversations and stuff. But yeah, I agree with you. You may, a wife should never be the have to carry the, the burden of being the chief um, evaluator of your you know, yeah. of your sermons. And especially when, quite frankly, most most men are terrible at receiving that well from their wife. So, yeah. um, my, you know, it, it's funny that my wife will, you know, usually the worst time to do that is 10 minutes after I preach a sermon. Yeah. <laughs> um, she usually waits for some kind of cue for me, like when we're driving home and, and that you know, usually the cue is pretty obvious because I'm, I'm type A and I have no problem just speaking up and I'll just say, so what'd you think? Yeah. Right. You know, and, and you know, now I've given her the green light to be completely honest with me and cause I'm ready to receive it, but I probably wasn't ready to receive it five minutes after I preached it. Um, so usually I get to a place where I've already processed things in my own mind. And then I say to my wife, so what did you think of the sermon? Yeah. And, uh, that's kind of green lighting her to say, Hey, look, you know, you, you now have the freedom to speak and I'm not going to like lock your head off if you say something I don't like, right. um, well, then- which often happens. Um, 
the consistent thing I've I've heard from because I one of the things I cherish are older pastors and older pastors' wives. Um, yep. There's just not many of them, and uh, they're just gold to sit at their feet and talk to them. And one of the consistent things I hear from older seasoned wise pastors' wives when I ask them what are, what are you know what are the few nuggets that you would tell any young pastor's wife you know kind of thing. Every single one of them have always said. Um, don't critique your husband's sermon on Sunday. Hmm. And, uh, you know, like, like Sunday night is not the time to critique sermon, even if your husband asks, yep. because he's, yep. it's cause he's being bothered by some things and wants you to say something that's going to help him resolve what he's burdened <laughs> by. But a lot of times, exactly right. a lot of times you're just going to affirm what he's probably troubled by and it's going to just make him yep. mad. So yep. it, it, that's just, that's just gold advice though. It's like, you know, I'm exhausted on Sunday evenings. Like I've just resolved at a certain point. Like I can't have any kind of serious conversation like that. So save it for Monday, save it for Tuesday. It takes discipline to do that because it's fresh on your mind and you want to talk about those things. But I just, it's, it's almost comical though, the amount of older pastors' wives, every single one of them have shared that. Yep. It's great advice. And, um, I know how I feel. I'm usually a train wreck uh, Sunday nights, and and the last thing I want to talk about is that um, I'm already beat myself up enough as it is, and and chances are good I'm fishing for compliments, right. and uh, because we don't know, because again, it kind of goes back to what you said earlier about our own knowing our own hearts. You know, it's like, exactly well, right. you want my you want your wife to praise you. You know, you're looking for some kind of uplifting element, and then she doesn't, and then then it's like, you know, you feel worse about it, and you kind of asked for it, so. Yeah. Um, well, look, we're out of time. I, you know, I, there's so much to talk about when it comes to just the pastoral ministry and our families, our wives, but I think one of the, the things that, that at least I've gleaned from this, and I hope the listeners have as well, is that um, many of the listeners probably aren't, uh, uh, aren't going into the ministry. Um, that, that's not their thing. Um, some, some are that listen that are going into the ministry, training or are in the ministry right now. Um, so one of the things I think we take away from this discussion is it has to be a conscious effort to shepherd our families, our kids, our wives. We need to schedule it. We need to, it needs to be intentional. That's one. Number two, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most people are members of churches and have pastors and they have pastors who have wives. Try to respect the reality that they're human. They're sinners. They struggle with some of the same things that you struggle with. And, um, when your pastor's off, unless a giant octopus is attacking the church or attacking your life, leave them alone. Give them the space to have the day off because most of the time they don't get full days off right. because of some issue or another. Right. And so help your pastors and their families uh, with these kinds of things and, and respect that. And, you know, you will benefit at the other end um, if your pastor and his wife have that time, their family have that time. Um, because then when they're working in the church and doing the ministry of the church, they're going to give that full attention there. They're not going to be distracted. And, um, so that, those are two things I took away from this discussion. Feel free to add, <laughs> please, <laughs> um, to, to what I just said. Yeah. Well, well I, it's great. And I think, um, the, the other thing to throw out there that every family, not just a pastor's family, but every family can glean from is, um, uh, even if you schedule the time, you know, even if you're, you know, OCD, put it in your Google calendar, as you said, um, <laughs> if you're, right. if you are not present with them, fully present right. with them, um, it can be even more frustrating than not being there at all. That's right. So I would just urge people, and this is true for 
with your wife. This is true with your kids. Um, both, you know, our wives don't give, they're not given enough credit usually how intuitive they are. And they know if we are distracted or they know if they have our time our full attention and we're fully present and fully engaged with them. And I would say that that's something that, that has been particularly valuable that I have learned in the last few years, uh, just trying to grow and understand how to love my wife and love my, and love my kids. That's true across the board with any Christian husband and father. Absolutely. Well, well said. And, um, we'll have to get you back on to talk about some other issues related to the ministry, but I've thoroughly enjoyed just listening to your, it's really wise counsel, and I and I hope people take it to heart. Um, whether you're in the ministry or not, um, fathers, uh, when you're with your family, be with your family. I mean, it's simple as that. Be with them. You're not at work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and we tend to find, as you mentioned earlier, we tend men tend to find their identity in their jobs, whether they're working at IBM or pastoring a church. They tend to find their identity in their jobs, and um, that's because that's the way we're wired, right? And but we need to resist the reality that uh, our identity is in our job. Um, we're Christians. Our identity is in Christ, and he's given us a wife, a family, and we need to minister to them, whether we're pastoring or not. That's the reality that's right. of what we're called to do. Yeah, that's right. But we'll have to get you back on and talk more about some of these things. But the book we've been talking about, and the one that I would strongly encourage, um, especially pastors, to read, um, but read it with your wife, um, because it's it comes from both angles. Um but it's the pastor's family, shepherding your family through the challenges of pastoral ministry. Brian and Kara Croft have written the book. Many of you are familiar with his ministry, uh, practicalshepherding.com. Um, but take advantage of these resources. They're valuable, uh, well-crafted, um, articulated, and uh, very practical advice to weed through uh, when it comes to pastoring. It's not an easy life, and um, but it doesn't have to be miserable. <laughs> so... Um, Take advantage of these resources. And really appreciate you being on, trying to talk about these things in a very candid way. And um, look forward to maybe in the future we'll have you back on to talk more about some of these issues because I think they're things that we need to keep uh, as we as we seek to to be faithful shepherds. Church. Did I lose you? Are you still there? I, I lost you a minute, but I'm still here. But yeah, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation, Bill. That's very good. Let me, uh, before you, you, you jump off the phone, let me just bring everybody up to speed. Uh, coming up on the program, we're going to have Dr. Murray Kappel. I think I'm saying his last name correctly. His book, The Heart is the Target. It's on preaching. Um, what what are we doing when we're preaching? What, what, what is our real goal? Um, and one of them is certainly to reach the heart of people as they're listening to our sermons. And so we're going to have him on to talk about this book that he has written. It's very helpful practical work. Then Dr. Ben Shaw, he's the professor of Old Testament here at the seminary. He'll be on to talk about Bible translations. It's a question that many people have. I've heard it before. You know, what's the best translation? What translation do you use? You know, so why do we use the translations we use? And he's going to talk about those types of questions on the program. And then Pat Daly, he is the general manager of Banner of Truth, and that's the U.S. office um, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. He'll be on to talk about the Banner Conference that's coming up in May. Um, if you are not going, have not gone to the Banner of Truth Ministers Conference that's held every year, then you're missing out. <laughs> it is a fantastic conference. It's on my calendar every year. It should be on yours, especially if you're a pastor um, in the ministry. It is a great time of fellowship with other brothers to listen to great preaching. It is a fantastic conference, and I would strongly encourage you to, to look into it. Banner of Truth, It's uh, just Google it, and you can get the information there. So until 
next time when we talk with, uh, who are we talking with? Dr. Murray Kappel on his book, The Heart is the Target. We do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.